0: Real quick, my friends, if you want to make more money with less marketing of your books, then go to my website, zbooks.co, and download my free Niche Finder tool. At the top of the page, it's called Free Niche Finder tool. And when you download that tool, you're going to get a bunch of emails from me that show you exactly what to do and video tutorials. And you're going to make more money by optimizing your books. I've helped a lot of people with this tool already. So go to zbooks.co and get the free Niche Finder tool. Alright, back to that podcast.
1: Everybody, whether you're the president of a company or the paperboy, everybody has the exact same amount of time. You and I both have 24 hours a day. No more, no less. The question is, what do you do with your time? Welcome to
0: Z Book Successful Authors Podcast, and today I have another big gun. I can't wait to talk to her. Her name is C.S. Lakin. She's an award-winning author and blogger at Live Right Thrive. Don't you just love that name? That just makes you want to go there and opt into all of her stuff. So she's written twenty novels and ten writing crafts books, and works full-time as a copy editor and writing coach. She teaches writing workshops in person and online at cslaken.teachable.com. And she specializes in manuscript critiques and has helped many authors garner agent and publishing contracts as well as win prestigious awards. So let's do some thriving with (laughs) C.S. Laken. Hi, Susan, how are you? Uh,
2: I'm good, thanks for the wonderful
0: introduction. I would love that name, Live, Write, Thrive. Isn't that what it's all about?
2: It really is. Yeah, I started my blog in January of 2012, and I've been going full bore on that. And that's when I thought up the name. And I just felt like the whole idea of writing is that it's a career. It's not something that you just do once. It's not like you just have a book in you, you should have an author in you. And um, it's ideas to thrive through your journey. So that's been my focus for the last six, going on seven years now, I guess.
0: Nice, nice. And you're in California and and your parents had a little bit with screenwriting or tell us about that.
2: Oh, well, I grew up in Los Angeles with a screenwriter, producer, mother. Uh, she she started out, yeah, writing scripts and she went into script supervisor And other things like that. So I grew up reading a lot of scripts and sitting in a lot of sets. Uh, Some of my fun memories, like uh, my mom used to be the story editor on Mod Squad. And at the time... I, I watched that. A little hip show, right? <laughs> well, yeah. I just wanted it to be super cool. So, whenever they went on location, I remember one time, like at the LA Zoo, I would go, I would ditch school and go so I could sit on the set. I always liked to sit in Peggy Lipton's chair and wear my dark sunglasses. And, huh. you know, keep in mind I was 10 years old at the time. <laughs> was she so the blonde I, agent? Yes. You know, ah, it was see, one, I one white, that. one black, one blonde, remember? Yeah. So, uh, and the Mod Squad. And, yeah, yeah, Clarence Williams III, he was so into his sunglasses cool. and he wouldn't take them off indoors or anything. It was just like a, it was like a black issue for him. It was really kind of cute. But uh, <laughs> anyway, so, um, yeah, so I used to do all that. I would sneak into sets like Ma- uh, M.A.S.H. and, uh, or i go into Lost in Space set and play with the styrofoam rocks that were supposed to be. Really? Rocks. M.A.S.H. and yeah, Lost yeah. in Space. Yeah, those are different uh, studios, but my mom had offices in various studios over the years, you know, MGM and um, other places, so. uh, That's cool. And so, you know, as a kid growing up, I was just, you know, real involved or around the Hollywood milieu, but um, Mm -hmm. uh, the big warning we were given, us kids were given, was don't you ever go into Hollywood and (laughs) TV or writing for... Writing for uh, the film industry, of course, my brother, my older brother ignored that, and he became a super highly successful TV screenwriter and producer, produced uh, Dallas. And really? Your yeah. brother produced Dallas? Not only that, but he, if you ever heard of the whole gimmick, who shot Jr.?" That was yeah. my brother. He made uh-huh. that up and all that. Cool. It's like one of the most famous, you know, cliffhanger things in TV and history, I guess. But anyway, so that's, that was what I grew up with. And um, so then uh, you started
0: writing books and thought, okay, I want to help people do that or the other way around, or how did you evolve? Uh,
2: Well, I think it just started, uh, I mean, I've been writing novels for a lot of years and attending workshops and conferences, and then I started into editing just as a career to make a living because I was not making a living selling novels, uh, which Mm -hmm. is hard to do. So uh, as I went into editing year after year, I would be mostly editing novels, and so many of them were structured so poorly that I almost felt guilty taking their money, and I would just say to these uh, writers, you know, I'm editing, line editing your material, and I'm correcting your spelling and your syntax and fixing <laughs> your but your story sucks. No, I wouldn't say,
1: I mean, the story structure was
2: working, right? Yeah, we know what
0: you're talking about. Don't worry. So
2: (laughs) I decided instead I don't know how many years ago, maybe five years ago to, to focus on critiques and to really encourage writers to get critiques instead of starting with editing. So Mm -hmm. it's, a re-education process because nobody really does this. Does what I do. I mean, mm-hmm. people do developmental editing, and a lot of people will, uh, you know, hire a developmental editor to help them with their story idea. But when you talk about developmental editing with an editor that does that, they also do a lot of line editing as a part of that. They'll chop out paragraphs and they'll move paragraphs. And mm-hmm. to me, all of that is is still wrong timing. If you don't mm-hmm. have your Sure of your story correct. It doesn't matter if you move a paragraph around. If you have a scene that shouldn't be in there, you need to throw that scene out. And if you're missing a scene, you need to write it. And you need to, you know, you need to. It's sort of like a you've got this puzzle with a bunch of pieces. Maybe it's a twenty-piece puzzle, or a, let's try an eighty-piece puzzle. If you have eighty scenes or whatever, and you're moving all these puzzle pieces around, but you might it might be that you've got a whole bunch of puzzle pieces that don't really fit your puzzle. You need to throw them out and get some different puzzle pieces in there. Yep. You want to get that big picture completely, all the puzzle pieces fitting together before you start dealing with like fixing a sentence or changing a character's name or mm-hmm. background or something like that, you know? So, uh, so I've been working on that for years. I do more than 200 critiques a year and I have been for years and I really just emphasize that people mm-hmm. write me, say, Hey, I, I'm a new writer and I've just finished my book and I'm edited and I say, well, how about you start with a critique? So <laughs> most of the time they'll say yes, like 95% of the time because they don't know what they're doing and they appreciate yeah. the. Voice. And I usually start with either a scene outline critique. Okay. I have a template and I have examples. I have a very specific way I like to have a scene outline created because there are elements about each scene that I want to know that if they just write a summary of each scene, like Joe goes to the store, Joe buys the hamburger – and then he goes home and gets hit by a car, you know, whatever. That's just not enough information for me to be able to critique it in light of the whole overall story. So I yeah. uh, I like to start with scene outline critiques, which I charge by the hour, and then I also encourage people to start with a 50-page critique also because mm-hmm. 50 page critique <laughs> will look at the writing itself and the scene structure and the plot and character and premise setup, which is all something I can't see in a, Outline critique. So those two together are really, really great. In fact, I'm, you know, like this week I already have, I'm working on my second one already this week of my um, 50 page critique. So this is like my staple basically. I just do almost like one a day. Um, okay. And I, I think that's just really, really helpful. A lot of writers used to just pay me thousands of dollars to critique their entire manuscript, mm-hmm. and I again I would get to this point where I felt like I was sort of stealing their money because <laughs> I would. End up, most of the time, especially a first novel, I would end up saying, you know, this isn't working, this isn't working, this isn't working, as politely as I could and yeah. without reading five million times, you know what, this isn't working, you really just need to, this is not <laughs> supporting your premise, you know, this isn't, you don't have an inciting incident, you don't even have a character goal, your character doesn't even want anything for the whole story, let's get back, <laughs> let's get back yeah. to the premise.
0: Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that structure you were talking about moving the boxes and stuff. So I've been looking at your stuff too, and you have these 10 key scenes. You also mentioned a template, but but um, can we go over the 10 key scenes
2: first? Yeah, yeah. The template is for a scene outline critique, and that's just ah, something okay. you could, anybody can find on my website, on my blog, Live, Write, Thrive, on my resource page. I have tons and tons of charts and templates, and I'm, I'm sort of like a chart master. I like make charts for everything. I oh, love yeah. charts. So I have 10 key scene chart, but I also have numerous 20 key scene charts, action, reaction chart. I have a romance 20 scene chart. I have a um, subplot. 20 scene chart so if you get into my book layer your novel which starts with the 10 key scenes those 10 key scenes are pretty foundational for just about any genre but from there when you build like your next 10 scenes you Mm -hmm. might want to veer off in a specific direction for instance if you are writing a romance there is a very set structure for romance novels right so you'd want to you know use that chart for a basic framework to move forward
0: right so um sounds a little bit Uh, uh, like Sean Coyne's story grid template, but you have a chart for each genre and that sounds really cool. So um, yeah. So what about the scene outlines and, and the subplots and, or the differences?
2: Oh yeah. So I don't have a, I don't have a chart or a layer for each genre. I I pulled out Mm -hmm. the romance one because it's very particular, but if Mm -hmm. you were writing thriller or you're writing fantasy, you're not going to have a very specific uh, structure that's mm-hmm. going to be different from mm-hmm. another structure. In other words, if you have your 10 key scenes, you have an inciting incident, you have, of course, your climax and resolution and your midpoint, all those things, they're going to really work across the board for just about any novel, even literary fiction. But then okay. when you start veering off into other things, then they won't work necessarily for uh, an epic family saga <coughs> many generations, and it might not work for uh, something that's more like a biography, like Sue Monk Kids, The Invention Mm -hmm. of Wing, which is basically a story of two women over their whole lifetime, you know, so Mm -hmm. you're not going to have this basic structure work for that. But for Uh most novels, most stories, this is traditional story structure. It's not something that I made up at all. Okay. Uh, uh, Ten key scenes is kind of the thing I made up, and the layering thing is my is my way of organizing it. I just like to try to make Mm -hmm. novel writing, which is really difficult and complex. I like to make Mm -hmm. it as simple as possible. And it's, and writers really find this is so helpful. I get emails probably, I I don't exaggerate when I say at least every day from people saying, I'm so glad I discovered this because these books or these charts or whatever, this method, because it just makes it so much easier if you know if you know you need a midpoint moment midway through your story, mm-hmm. where your character has to make a big choice and go all in, you know, then you can go, okay, what can I come up with that will fit that midpoint moment? And, and it's going to work. Um, you might not know at the time as you're writing, if you're really in the middle yet, uh, mm-hmm. because you haven't gotten to the end and you don't know your word count, but mm-hmm. if you're laying out your scenes, you can pretty much, uh, you know, you can pretty much guesstimate where things are going to go and, mm-hmm. And in the right places, at least. Um, if your midpoint ends up when you're done writing, you know, at the eighty percent mark or the twenty percent mark, yeah. then obviously you've you haven't gotten enough scenes in the right places. Otherwise, the midpoint would be sitting in the midpoint. <laughs> so,
0: okay, so can we do uh, a count up? So, scene one is
2: uh, inciting incident. Well, your scene one is your setup.
0: Or the 10 key scenes. Okay, the setup is first.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, inciting incident would be like a first turning point. Some people talk Mm -hmm. about plot points. I don't go into the plot points. And I also into three-act structure because it's really confusing. And a lot (laughs) of novels don't fit three-act structure. And it's really random and arbitrary. In fact, ancient storytellers only had one act. They didn't have a Hmm. three-act. So, yeah, I read about that a bit in Layer Your Novel if you want to read up on that. Um, Okay, Many times the five-act structure was more common. So writers get really caught up in the 3 acting. It's definitely a more of a Hollywood thing. And,
0: yeah, um, and you know why else? Because they said that Steve Jobs did his presentations in the three-act scene. Oh, okay. You know? So did okay. you see that? Yeah, I saw that. Anyways, no, no, no,
1: I didn't. Yeah.
2: But also a lot of people think it's just logical. You have a beginning, middle, and end. Okay, yeah. sounds like three acts. And I do, you know, some of my stories I, I believe I could easily break into three acts, but um, – I talk about how many of my books have four parts or five parts, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you want the story to dictate how many acts. You don't want the acts to dictate. Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, Okay, so what comes after the setup?
2: Okay, so your first scene is your setup scene, and it may be more than one scene, but the idea is all of these may be more than one scene for the most part, but the idea is that you want at least one key setup Mm -hmm. scene that establishes your protagonist in her world you know, what's going on in her life, what her core need is, and mm-hmm. you know, preparing for the inciting incident to come. Most of the time, it's showing your character in her ordinary world. It may, you know, mm-hmm. it may not it could start off with a character who's just arrived in a new place. And now this is a new world or a new life for her. But that's not the inciting incident. You do mm-hmm. have to have a The purpose of the setup is really to uh, let the reader know who your character is and to get your reader to quickly empathize with or be interested in your character. I mean, we don't really love Sherlock Holmes, but we're fascinated by him because he's such an amazing, crazy, Mm -hmm. intriguing character. So, uh, you know, it's not necessarily that readers have to love your protagonist, but they definitely need to be engaged and want to know this person and what they're up to. So that's the purpose of the setup scene.
0: And then, okay, because uh, I don't want to, you know, uh, reveal too much. Uh, but um, what comes after the setup?
2: Well, and also while people are talking, I mean, if they want to go to Live Write, Thrive, go to my mm-hmm. resource page and download or look at the uh, ten key scene chart. It's right there, so you can oh, follow. okay. Yeah, they can follow along and they can um, uh, download it or look at it on, you know, through Google Docs or something. But okay, anyway. LiveRightThrive.com, and it's right there. On my resource page, yeah. Just scroll down and you'll find all those charts and things you can link. Yeah, click on. Okay. So, yeah, so anyway, the second, um, the second key scene is the inciting incident. Okay. And um, the inciting incident or the opportunity or initial disturbance, there's lots of different terms that people use. Yeah. It's a very simple concept and, it's, and it should be there pretty much in just about any novel. Is mm. the whole idea of telling a story is you're telling a story because something has happened.
1: Mm -hmm. or something
2: happens to kick off your story. So this is what this is all about. And unfortunately, a lot of writers, even ones that have done a bit of writing, novel writing, often don't have a clear inciting incident. It really is something very specific, and it has to tie in with the premise. So a lot of times a writer will start a novel in the wrong place, and they think, oh, when they go move to Italy, that's the inciting incident. But The premise is about how a ghost shows up, and it, it 's you know some mystery in their house that leads to them discovering a dead body and blah 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 so if they if 're considering the inciting incident at the ten percent mark is just moving to a place and then for five more scenes they're they 're moving their furniture in and they 're meeting the neighbors and they 're enjoying <laughs> local restaurants and blah 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 and it 's boring, and nothing 's happening. Uh, this is what happens a lot in fact. Yeah. Track- you know, a project that I just finished a critique on today. <laughs> this is what it's reminding me of because the mm-hmm. idea is the writing is lovely and, you know, there might be some great uh, character exchanges and fun dialogue, but if you're not at the inciting incident, introducing a situation that moves your character now, shifts your character's attention or direction, either in a just a mental or actual way,
1: mm-hmm. then
2: you know, you're missing, you're not, the structure's not right. So, yeah. uh, the inciting incident is the key number one turning point, and it's really important. It should come really early. Oftentimes, it's in the first scene. A lot of my novels, it is, By the end of the first scene is your inciting incident. With a <laughs> murder mystery, you start with a dead body. A lot yeah. of times, uh, that's your inciting incident. If the story mm-hmm. is about a detective solving a murder, it mm-hmm. makes total sense that the book will start with the murder. Uh, mm-hmm. if, to have the murder halfway through and have the first half of the book, the character drinking lattes with her girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. seriously, this is what you see a lot with um, beginning writers is they just don't think about the structure and they want to pants it and wing it and they want to just kind of introduce this character and how wonderful she is and how great, you know, her life is or whatever, or her bad, her life is, you know, yeah. whatever, but there's nothing happening plot wise. And it's really important that that plot starts kicking in right away and mm-hmm. it has to tie in with the premise. So let me just take a second. We can talk about the premise. Okay. <clears throat> the premise is a, basically a what if question. Okay. You're using a situation. The actual meaning is like there's a situation that needs to be dealt with. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a premise that there's something happening. And so like with the Lord of the Rings, for instance, you have the situation you have as an evil ruler, an evil monster kind of guy. <clears throat> He's lost his ring and he wants to find it and get this power back. So mm-hmm. now you have a situation where you have a character who has found the ring and what is he going to do about it? What if this character finds this magic ring and he knows this evil lord is searching for it and will destroy the world with it? How is he going to deal with the situation? So this is what reader, uh, writers need to spend a lot of time working on before they go any further, which is to focus on what's their premise? What is the situation? And how is their character going to handle that situation and deal with that situation? Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if, there's, if it's not an interesting enough premise, it's not worth spending months of your life uh, or readers spending 10 hours of their day reading your book if
1: the premise yeah. isn't interesting.
0: Yeah, um, I don't know his name now, but there's an author that's famous for, for the tempo, just keeps, keeps it moving, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of people hate his writing or his style or the word choice, but even despite that, they love his they they read all, all of his books cuz he keeps them moving through the plot so fast i, I don't know what the name is for that hmm. okay anyways yeah. so it it's, it's got to move the character the inciting incident has to move the character and it's got to tie into
2: the premise right right okay got to set up the premise i mean think about it like <clears throat> With, this, with the novel The Martian, for example, mm-hmm. you've got Mark Watney, he's on Mars. The, the movie starts off different than the book, which makes sense because the yeah. movie starts with the big accent stuff like that. With uh, the book, it starts with him already having been injured. But Ah. cinematically, you can understand why you would start with them in their ordinary world, right? They're in Mars, in their ordinary world, which is out in Mars, doing their Mars thing, gathering stuff and samples Mm -hmm. and whatever, and then this accident occurs. So structurally for screenplay, that's perfect. It works great. For the novel, you start off with Mark Watney just saying, I am so, you know, effed. Yeah, that's that's right. He's sitting there. And he's talking and doing the video log or whatever. And that's a beautiful and it's a perfect way to start for the novel because yeah. the, the, the incident has already occurred, but we have him on Mars. And so the premise there is how is he going to survive till somebody gets to him? Yeah. And he has to be passionate about that. If he doesn't care about his goal, then he's just going to sit there and eat up all the food and forget the potatoes, man. And just, you know,
1: (laughs) when he's done, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And then die.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly yeah okay so that's so, you know
1: speaking of yeah. character
2: motivation they really do need to want to go pursue a goal if your character yeah. isn't passionate about something and isn't chasing after some sort of goal
1: yeah.
2: uh and you don't have a story either and so many books mm-hmm. that i critique take don't have the character really doing caring about anything they might like especially fantasy books there's usually a group of people that they're, they're kind of stuck on the lord of the rings thing and they can't yeah. get
1: it <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. And it doesn't uh, work
2: anymore so yeah. they have like a bunch of bunch of aliens or trolls or elves or whatever and they're just yeah. wandering around going from one mm-hmm. place to another maybe trying to just stay out of trouble or escape and <laughs> and but there's no yeah. the main character that's pursuing a goal you know and yeah. so the story yeah. just feels purposeless
0: yeah i can relate with you there i've seen plenty of those books too and uh, okay all right so what comes after the inciting incident
2: so there's a, there's a the next turning point is this 25% mark, which is where the goal gets fixed. It's, I don't have it as a 10-key scene, ah. but it's something that, um, because sometimes it, it does take more than one scene to kind of get that goal fixed. Okay. But the idea is that from the inciting incident, which is around the beginning, near the beginning or 10% mark, uh, up until the midpoint um, you've got the character fixing a goal, and then there, there should be at least one really significant twist and one um, pinch point. And I, and I just put one each before the midpoint and after the midpoint.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: The reason for this is, first of all, you can have a lot a lot more. You can certainly have twist after twist after twitch is what I aim for in my books. I love to have one twist after another, just just. Mm-hmm keep the reader just completely discombobulated and off culture. Uh, but you know, for a basic (laughs) structure, you want to have one really strong twist and one pinch point. The pinch points are where you show the force of the opposition. The first pinch Ah. point in the early part of the book shows the, uh, introduces the opposition basically or the power of the opposition and mm. um, and that opposition for instance in the martian is not another person it's a, the planet I, mean, yeah. I can't remember exactly which pinch, pinch point ha- happens where but like the fir- one of the pinch points of course is where his hab blows up and all his potatoes yeah and now he's forced into a new direction. So that's yeah. like a pinch point for him. Um, you'd have the same thing in a movie like Cast Away, where you have a character that's on a deserted island. There are no other people. Obviously, it's man against nature, So you, mm-hmm. or the perfect storm, for instance. All of those movies fit this model. They follow this structure. There is a p- pinch point at the 33% mark, and there's another pinch point at the 62% mark. And the second pinch point shows the full force of your opposition. So if you mm-hmm. have a little minor storm in the perfect storm at the pinch point mark that almost makes the boat, you know, flip over at the second pinch point the boat does flip over, you know what uh-huh. I mean? so this yeah. is the idea um, so I talk about this at length in Layer Your Novel and I give lots of movie examples and, um, Interesting. Yeah, and also on my online course uh, at cslaken.teachable.com, I have a really extensive, I don't remember how many hours, four or five or six hours, uh, just for the first 10 scenes. And I have more than 20 movie clips and I also have novel excerpts. So if you really want to nail this, that course is mm-hmm. great. And we're going to talk about that at the end, right? Because we have right, a right. for your viewers. Or listeners, Correct. Okay? Um, Correct. And um because it really helps to see a lot of examples. So when you see these pinch point examples, like you know a half dozen of these, you read you know, examples from different movies and you just go, okay, now I get what that pinch point is. It's so the same with the twist. I mean, I shouldn't have to describe or explain what a twist is, but basically it's just a misdirection or it's a mm-hmm. development that happens that kind of comes out of left field that your character didn't expect uh, or maybe expected, but it happens and now it's gonna change everything. Okay. Um, I've got this leaf blower guy out there. Oh, right? no. Aren't those that, illegal yet? Not in California, right? Yeah. No, I'm, at my, I'm actually at my community rec center uh, talking to you because my internet at home is really awful. So uh, it's kind of fun. I'm watching the screaming kids go by and there's the leaf blowers. Oh, my goodness. Right. Anyway, see, there's a twist. I didn't expect that to happen, but now yeah. what do I do? Yeah. We're going to take over the world.
0: No. Hey, you know, we don't have those. Well, we do have those in Germany, but you never hear them. So, so I'm remembering California now really well, you know. I, oh, boy. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's kind of funny to think leaf flowers are evocative of California, but whatever whatever works for you. So, <laughs> yeah. so the, the twist idea is that you just really want a, um, a really strong uh, development that happens that really challenges your character in some mm-hmm. way or opens up a new door opportunity and it should also be leading into the midpoint. So that's the Mm -hmm. next, the next key scene. Number five is the midpoint scene. Um, Am I counting right? One, two, three, four. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So the midpoint of course occurs right at the midpoint and it's, it's a moment where something happens, something develops in the story that causes your character to have to make the decision to go all in. Let's wait for the
0: leaf blower to go by or who is that?
2: Yeah, those are more leaf blowers. Well, kind of moving, they're kind of moving along the parking lot. they will work their way over there. Uh, are you picking that up?
0: No, yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah. But um, now is okay. It's it, We're back to normal. So okay. <laughs> we were at the midpoint scene. Sorry about that.
2: Yeah, well, that's sort of great to have the rising leaf blower noise <laughs> and action going on because it emphasizes the intensity and the importance of the midpoint. Yeah, yeah. I see. And everything. Uh, yeah, so the midpoint is all about uh, greater commitment all in, and usually from there, from the midpoint up to all the way up to the dark night moment and the climax. It's all about progress. Moving mm-hmm. five steps forward, ten steps back. You know, more obstacles, more twists. So the next, you know, six, number six and number seven are your next twist, your next finish point,
1: mm-hmm. and then it gets
2: <laughs> you to key scene number eight, which is your dark night of the soul moment. Oh, and wait that, a second!
0: Wait a second! I'm got. I got to write that one down. The dark.
2: Okay. But you night. don't know yet. Haven't heard about this. <laughs> uh,
0: um you know, not in this form, not in those okay. Dark Night of the Soul?
2: Yeah, it's called the Dark Night of the Soul. It's a, cool. uh, you know, a dark night moment. Basically, you see this in, again, in every strong story. There's always the really difficult moments mm-hmm. uh, that come before the final push and the climax. You know, yeah. uh, the dark night, you know, mm-hmm. you can just think of like just about any story, any movie that you've seen where things look absolutely hopeless. Like, How- you know This is going to work.
0: Sorry. Um, I'm familiar with the hero's journey and this is always where they go down into the pit.
2: Yeah, this is part, this is exactly the hero's journey. So Ah. your character, um, I mean, you're not necessarily, it's not always necessary like the call to adventure and they turn it down and all that stuff. But yeah, but definitely the dark moment. This is the pit moment for sure. Um, And depending on the genre that you're writing, that moment's going to vary. If you're writing it's a really lighthearted comedy, you're not going to have a heavy, grueling, mm-hmm. anxiety-ridden, you know, suicidal, you know, character that's, <laughs> yeah. like, feel like they've lost everything, but, so, yeah, so you have to look at your genre, and with everything, you need to study your genre, you need to study bestsellers in your genre to compare, to see how the structure is working, and how, these different key scenes are played out. In Layer Your Novel, I, I don't know how many novels I actually summarize. I do complete scene summaries that go on uh-huh. two pages with just a paragraph for scene. And then I, I, I put them in bold and I mark them all the all these 10 key scenes so that you can see, like I use catching fire from the hunger games and um, I can't remember what other books I have in there, but when you take a look at it, you can say, see, Oh, I see very clearly. This is the first pinch point. I see clearly this is the midpoint. Um, yeah. this is the dark night moment the pit moment where the character just can't go on any further is just going to lose it i mean when we think about the hunger games the first movie what would you say would be that dark moment that hopeless absolutely hopeless moment since the whole movie or the book itself is like completely yeah. hopeless all the way through right
0: yeah no i always and, confuse it with game of thrones <laughs> oh okay so, <laughs>
2: so in the hunger games right before the the games end and Peeta and Katniss are the last two left. All of a sudden they, the announcement comes, no, you two can't, win together only one of you can win and they're hoping that one will kill the other Mm -hmm. and they have the poison berries and they decide okay we're just going to eat the poison berries and Mm -hmm. they're about to do that and they basically call the bluff of the game the game makers so Ah. um but that's you know that's that moment where like they've gone all the way to the end and they're just about to win and now there's this hopeless moment like you've got to be kidding me (laughs) so uh, (laughs) that's just one example that popped into my head because i just did a marathon watching all the ah yeah Hunger Games movies. Like I think it took us eight hours to watch all four movies on TV over Wow, me. It was fun. Uh, cool. Anyway. Yeah. So I hope that makes sense. But yeah, so the Dark Knight moment. Yeah. So there's lots of things that happen at that Dark Knight moment. Usually the character... Uh, wants to go back to the kind of person they were before wh- that was safe. You know, sometimes this is where it looks like all support systems have failed. Um, everybody mm-hmm. and everything that they've counted on to get them through ha- or have not come through. But when you look, you know, oftentimes you'll have something like we had in Star Wars where Luke Skywalker, you know, is, thinks it's hopeless. And then at the last second, guess who shows up? Han Solo, he's going to help him. And yeah. then you know, they rally and, uh, you know, get into the climax. So this This is right at the cusp of the climax and it just segues right into it there's no real uh, break between the dark moment and the climax and of course the climax is your key scene number nine and it can go on for many many scenes
0: yeah Hmm. the climax can go on for many scenes
2: Well, yeah, because it's your big action section Mm -hmm. of your book, right? I mean, a lot of times you'll have a climax scene and then you'll have uh, sort of a follow-up. The climax is still kind of going where now everybody else shows up and they're cheering your hero on and then, you know, you're detective person thinks they've solved the murder and they are leaving the room and all of a sudden they see somebody across the street and they go, oh, oh my gosh, I didn't catch the killer. That's the real killer. You know, you have a false climax and then you have to deal with the real climax. It's very, very co- uh, common to have what's called a faux climax or a false climax. Yeah, That's yeah. That's followed by the real climax, which is always Hmm. great. That's a twist. (laughs) Um, And then of course your last of the 10 scenes is your resolution scene. How does it all wrap up at the end and how, uh, you know, how to deal with uh, not just tying up the loose ends, but showing your character has arrived and what that's going to look like going forward for that character. Mm -hmm. And again, there's going to be a lot more scenes. Of course, this doesn't make up your entire novel. 10 scenes does not a novel make, not even a novella. Yeah, uh, Yeah, but so from there, then once you have all those in place, you can build on those. And uh, it's really, it's just such a great uh, standard, traditional, strong framework for a story. Basic story. story. So you can't go wrong with that. Even if you're not even sure if your story will fit into that kind of structure, at least try it. Because you might, from there, veer off into some other weird constructs. But it will at least help you get your basics in the right place yeah
0: there 's some a, a lot of interesting research out there um, well the hero 's journey too they say it 's like in our dna it 's the story that we all mm-hmm. identify with, and so why reinvent the wheel you know
1: right right yeah. right
0: so and that 's why uh, scene outlines and having them critiqued is so helpful right that 's what you do right
2: right right so the idea with the scene outline critique is to just look at what your ideas are for every one of your scenes for your entire novel and see if you've got all these scenes in the right places or you have scenes that don't really do anything. The focus is to really, when you're writing scenes, your focus is to always keep not just story structure in mind, but your premise in mind, but to make sure that each scene is serving a very specific purpose. So mm-hmm. you, you know that's another chart you can download from my resource page is eight steps to a perfect scene because i think a lot of times people think oh i'm going to just write this cool scene i'm going to have him climb a tree and when he's up in the tree he's going to see everything around and um decide that he wants to one day own all that property that he sees okay whatever so um (laughs) you know you want to step back and go okay well what why would I want to write that scene? How, what purpose is that serving? Is that helping with my premise? If the premise of the story is a guy decides to um, build a huge golf resort in this middle of this beautiful area, and all the local people decide to rise up against him, um, you have the Milagro Beanfield War, which is one of the greatest movies ever, right? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. The guy doesn't climb a tree and see the view. you know. And, of course, it's not, yeah. the story isn't told by the developer's point of view. But you know, you get what I'm saying here. In, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the Milagro Beanfield War, what's the inciting incident? Do you remember that movie?
0: Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, oh, you uh,
2: don't? Okay. So, <laughs> okay. Just that I wasn't sure. It's a, it's a brilliant movie, and uh, Reuben Blades stars in it. And um, it's about a small, little, impoverished town in the southwest, and, um, you know, just like out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, some big developers come in and want to develop a big resort. And they start diverting the water, and so they make it mm-hmm. illegal for anybody in the town to use the water. And so this one little farmer who has a tiny little crop of beans, a bean field, which is like not even like a third of an acre, uh, he's he's he there's it's like a drought, right? There's no rain, and he's right. seeing he's seeing the. Um, little trough of water the little flume of all the water just going by his property and he's like forget this man and he goes up yeah. there shovel and he diverts the water and he waters his bean field it's just like no big deal right right but but it is a big deal it turns into a huge deal the whole town gets involved and you know it's it's the david and goliath story of the character um you know the little guy taking down yeah. the big right? And that's a very typical story structure also. But the inciting incident is that he, he sticks his shovel in the dirt and he diverts a little bit of water into his bean field. It doesn't seem like it's a big thing, right? It's like right. a silly little, silly little plot element, but it is huge for the story structure. So, you know, when you're thinking of your 10 key scenes, they don't have to all be big, uh, dynamic action. They could be very subtle. They could be very small actions. Mm-hmm. Um, it could even be a character just saying one thing to somebody else, and it could set off a whole chain of events that could change the world.
1: You yeah,
0: know? yeah, that's cool. Um, and I was looking at your website, and I see all of these things are there, and you don't even have to have an email opt-in for them. No, so no, this have, is free stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's well, I mean, you know, some, yeah. yeah, go ahead, go ahead.
2: Yeah. Okay, uh, I was just going to say I would encourage anyone that's writing novels and really wants to get a lot of media information aside from the two million words on my blog uh, to <laughs> sign up for my mailing list. You know, they'll get yeah. a free book and then if they sign up, if they join my fast track email list, they'll also get two yeah. free books the first week and they'll get all kinds of offers and all kinds of stuff. So um, yeah. I'm just all about trying to get people to find find an easy way through the yeah wagmire trying to write a novel i've written 20 novels in lots of different genres mm-hmm. and um, one thing i've learned especially because i've written different genres
1: mm-hmm. is
2: that the key thing that you have to do is take the time to do your homework and i don't mean just learning craft writing craft i mean go yeah. out and buy those like dozen best-selling novels in your genre that yeah. Similar to yours that have like a similar either a storyline or a setting or a writing mm-hmm. style or something that you know, like right now, I'm writing my thriller Lightning Man and it's a paranormal supernatural thriller, and I've never written that before, and mm-hmm. I have spent in research. And I have lots of books, not just on my topics, but on, that I'm studying for structure that are very different stories, but they're all a little bit paranormal. I have a character, they're all about a character that has sort of a paranormal ability. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to study how these authors were presenting these characters and, and the action and the balance of the narrative and all that. And this is the best way to learn. and, And yeah, you know, you got to sit down and you got to do your homework. I just I write out yeah. charts. I go through these books and I write, so I write all the summaries of all the chapters. I write whose point of view is it, what happens mm-hmm. in the scene, is it a high-energy scene, is it a low-energy scene. Um, and this is how you're going to really master story structure for your mm-hmm. genre.
0: Okay, so this is the perfect segue to my number one question, which is probably already answered it, but how do you make a good story great?
1: <laughs>
2: well, that's a good question because – we all have lots and lots of ideas. You know, every day, you know, I come up with tons of ideas. So this would be a cool idea for a novel, or this would be a cool idea for a novel. Yeah. But you need to be able to take that novel from idea to killer concept. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it has to be original at all. It, you know, everything is pretty much like the same old story that's been done a million times, right? But mm-hmm. there's ways to twist it. I call it a concept with a kicker. And I talk about that in depth in my 12 key pillars of novel construction book. Okay. I'll show you all these different ways that you can twist or or add a kicker to a concept. Um, So um, a lot of times, you know, all you have to do is just change the occupation of your characters or change the location or the situation. Um, you know, there's just so many examples that you, that I have in the book that I was just thinking, um, there's that one about the two magicians that are sort of vying for the competition of this one woman or one's angry, the other married the wife, the woman that he wanted. And it's just set between two magicians in the 1800s. You know, like, it's like a weird
1: setting, but I forget which it is.
2: Remember what it is? It's called the, um, I don't know if it was The Prestige or if it was the – there's another one. A uh, couple couple, couple uh, magician movies came out at the same time, and they are both great. Um, yeah. Anyway, so the idea is that to come up with a really great concept that when you tell somebody what it is, this is what a high concept is, they say to you, I'm going to kill you so I can steal your idea. Uh, <laughs> that's, kind of, that's kind of what you want. You want people, yeah. to, like when we would tell people what our story is for the menopause murders, Michael co- Writer and I, everybody would say, oh my gosh, that is such a great idea. I can't wait to read that. And that's kind of what you want with your concept. If you tell your concept to people and say, oh, I'm going to write a story about a woman who goes uh, to Italy on vacation and she collects yeah. Venetian glass and then she goes home and shows all her friends her Venetian glass because I really just want to capture Venice. I want to yeah. just... Write this beautiful story about what it's like to go to Venice. Okay, great. Well, why don't you write an article for a travel and leisure magazine or something?
1: But not a
2: novel. No, but I'm saying it
1: could be a beautiful
2: (laughs) article. It could be a beautiful article.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It may not
2: be the right thing for you to do is to write it as a novel because you're not talking about novel structure, which is all about uh, uh, a character with a goal that's going after this goal amid great opposition and um, high stakes. Yeah. that's what you want. You want high stakes and conflict as high as you can get them, and you want a protagonist who's passionate about a goal, and you want to bring in some theme or themes that are really going to resonate with your readers. And mm-hmm. theme is really just the um, inner motivation of your character made universal. And I can well, say that. Uh, again. Yeah. Say that again. Yeah. The theme. Your, um, your character's inner motivation, why they're doing something, mm-hmm. made universal. Okay. So when um, in Fly Away home, you have a girl who decides to hatch these geese eggs because the nest got destroyed and she's going to raise these baby geese. And her goal is going to be to take these geese when they grow up and fly them down to some refuge lake in the Southeast and save them and give them a home so that the the fishing game guy doesn't like take them and kill them or something. So the, but you know, so the, she's passionate about this goal for many reasons. Um, but what makes the story so fascinating is that she's got to um, overcome all these different obstacles in order to reach her goal, not just learn how to fly these weird kind of contraptions, but she yeah. got to, to follow her. You know, she's got to like bond with them and then get them to fly with her in the air. It's one of the best movies ever. So, uh <laughs> I don't know how I got off yeah. on that. Topic, but-
1: no, I- it's,
0: a, it's a tough question. You know, how do you make a good story great? I think I'm going to pose that to everybody that I interview from now on. And, um- well,
2: yeah, I would say the main thing is you want to have an amazing character. You don't want to have, like, everybody wants to write this everyday Joe or Jane. Like, I want to just write an or like show an ordinary person yeah. and what happens to them. And it's great. You know, we want people to relate to our characters. But, honestly, ordinary people are boring. We really want. <laughs> We read a novel, we want interesting characters. We want larger-than-life characters. It doesn't mean they have to be hilarious and outrageous and crazy like Sherlock Holmes. You know, you don't want to have 17 Sherlock Holmeses in your book, and then you don't, you know, like, you just... Blow your mind, uh, but yeah, you want character. You want a character that readers can really love. And I spend a lot of time working on my characters. And in fact, I've already written like my first twenty thousand words in this thriller, and I'm still not there yet. Even though I spent a lot of time developing my main character, I still haven't gotten to where I am so absolutely in love with this guy, and I really care yeah. about. Him much myself as a writer you know he hasn't quite full filled out yet to be the person i need him to be before i really go too much further um so i would say spend a lot of time with your characters and make your character really great uh, and make sure that the character fits the premise because if Mm -hmm. you have a story like taken where you have a dad that has to go to france to find his girl his daughter that's been kidnapped by sex slave traders Mm -hmm. you're not going to have some like accountant who's, you know, all he's done is <laughs> go, like, in the yeah. desk and crunch numbers, unless there was some like really important, you know, way that he could stop them by doing accounting. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah. You- yeah. You need to create your character so that the character is designed to fit your premise, you know, and it organically, it can work both ways. You might start with a character idea and think what kind of a story could I put my character in? Mm -hmm. I've got this great idea for a character. I mean, I have, I came up with lightning man with this just image of this guy standing on top of a mountain, willing the lightning to strike him. He's been struck, you know, a dozen times. And this is the only way he can stop this terrorist or or, um, you know, whatever, this bad guy, by luring him into the open and grabbing him and having the lightning strike him so he sacrifices his life to save mm-hmm. whoever. And I developed mm-hmm. this whole entire novel that I've been plotting out and working on and researching for two years now. Just because cool. I saw it in my head, And, it, and um, he's called Lightning Man? And the story's called Lightning Man, yeah, because um, it's kind of like a nickname someone gives him because he's been struck mm-hmm. by lightning so many times, you know. Is it out but, yet? Uh, no, I'm writing it right now.
0: Oh, okay, okay.
2: Yeah, but I, you know, I just kind of came up with an idea. So you were asking, like, how do you know you have a good idea or a premise or whatever? So yeah. I came up with this idea, and I had to put it through the fire because okay. this is what writers should do. You should, like, have your ideas, and then you should just develop them and work on them. But mm-hmm. most of them are going to fall by the wayside, or they should, because they're just not good enough. They don't have yeah. the load. Yeah. the last 400 pages. I knew with Lightning Man, I could have a really interesting character because I started giving him all kinds of interesting abilities that he got because of Lightning, which a lot of people have had. Their, their hearing has increased. You know, I I, I went further and I've given him things like... Um, you know, like, like how sharks can sense prey behind rocks. I've given him electromagnetic pa- abilities that have, because of this electrical field has been supercharged. So I didn't want to do a superhero novel. I wanted it to be kind of more like phenomenon. The movie, which
1: mm-hmm. I where, right
2: where the, the idea is that, you know, this could happen to anybody. You know, so uh, so I'm trying to make it realistic. But so I was playing with it, but I thought this is great because I have all this lightning, all this lightning material, lightning survivor stories and lightning facts, and they're fascinating. So, and I also felt like nobody had ever done this or has done like a series Mm -hmm. about a character that, you know, has, you know, really, he's disabled. He has issues. He has memory losses. You know, he's a flawed character because of lightning. And I wanted to bring to... Uh, bring to the forefront, you know, the issues with lightning and electric shock and stuff yeah. like that. So that a, sounds cool. Point. Yeah, it's kind of cool. So, um, but anyway, so that's what <laughs> writers need to do. They need to come up with an idea, not only that's, like, super great, but they have to be excited about it. You know, why spend, like, eight months of your life writing a novel if you really hate your story? And you, yeah. it, you know what I
1: mean?
2: Yeah. So yeah. You have to really get excited about it, and then you have to think, why am I excited about it? What's exciting about my story my premise mm-hmm. that makes me want to spend like every day ignoring my family and you know <laughs> all my all my responsibilities and the gardening and everything else to write yeah. this story, right? You know?
0: Yeah, live, right, thrive and ignore your family.
2: <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go, right. yeah.
0: Yeah. Have you heard of Brad Meltzer? I have, I think. Wait. He's he's um kind of like the well, not the new, but um oh. Clancy. And he says he won't write oh. a character unless he knows his why. And he knows where he's going; otherwise, he won't, you know, he'll cut the character out. You know, so he's a real yeah. character yeah. development guy too.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, yeah. he's like a—he's kind of like a following in the footsteps of Tom Clancy, but he's just okay. writing one bestseller after the other now. You know.
2: Okay, I haven't read him yet, but I will check him out for sure. Oh, there's so many good
0: people to read. You know, how do you choose?
2: Yep. Yep. Well, I would say if you're a writer uh, and you're trying to write some novels, I would just for now choose books that are like yours, that are bestsellers yeah. so that you can really get the genre down. It's really important yeah. to nail your genre because especially whether you're going to self-publish or try to get an agent, you need to be able to very specifically fit that novel alongside other bestsellers. I never knew that for a lot of years. And that's why I couldn't get my novel sold for so many years. Yeah. I didn't understand you know, how important genre is. And I created a whole online course about how to do that. So, yep. but,
0: you know, well, yeah. you, you know, it sounds simple and obvious, but sometimes it needs to be said, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I think a lot of writers just don't do their homework. They know what they like to read. Like, oh, I read mystery. So I'm going to write a mystery. Okay. Well, that's great. But have you taken the time to really deconstruct? Like, how do you know what, what, what is your typical third scene in the book?
1: Yeah. You know,
2: high action scene? Is it a low action scene? Like with mine, I went through a number of novels and I laid out a chart, scene one, and I put a summary of every single one of those scene ones in a mm-hmm. row so I could look. And guess what? All of those scene ones were a high action setup scene. You know, there's some thrilling action going on that tells the reader who is this character and what what are they like. They're usually on another case if they're a detective or they're they're in a courtroom if they're a lawyer and they're finishing up. You know, you see them in action with something that's really exciting and interesting and fun. So that's what I did. I came up with the first opening scene where my character is doing his thing as a park ranger and he's tracking down some bad guys up in the mountains with another ranger and you get to see all these different little powers and abilities that he has because of lightning you know uh you know i didn't want to start the book with him like sitting around thinking which a lot of people do when they're just starting a novel and they've never written before they they end up having the first few scenes the character is just not really doing anything it's just sort of explaining and backstory and all that you need to get away from that you know write it all down for yourself but don't put it in the novel
1: yeah
0: that's another another fine art of storytelling yeah um who was it uh oh man uh, i don't know if it was Heinlein or Asimov you know he said his whole backstory was in that one sentence you know the the door the door moved to the right or something and then boom you knew you were in a science fiction uh Novel, right. Yeah. You know? I don't
2: know who you're talking about, but I, exactly. Um, you know, the idea is that the author should know all the backstory, but it's like mm-hmm. a, it's like a, um, what do you call those things in the water? No, that's a Titanic hit. Iceberg. Okay. you're. <laughs> <laughs> had, had to get a mental connection. My dead brain, uh, yeah, it's like an <laughs> So you have a little bit sticking up out of the surface, but there's a ton of it under the water. So you, as the author, know all the stuff that's under the water, but you only let a little bit of it peek out for the reader. And honestly, readers don't want you to tell them everything. They wanna, they want you to yeah. keep a lot of secrets. They want you as okay. the author to keep back as much as possible. But there is a fine balance because if you don't tell enough, you don't show enough. Yeah. That's underwriting, and then the reader is not engaged or they're confused. Speech. That's
0: interesting. They want oh, yeah. to keep... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that's not... Oh, yeah. That's another interesting one. It seems so obvious, but it needs to be said. You know, so they they want you to keep some secrets and don't, you know, tell everything. So what else is so obvious, but needs to be said?
2: Oh, uh, okay. Okay. Um... <laughs> Now
0: that I got you here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to think. So, yeah, so the backstory, you want to kind of just drop in little bits if you are going to bring in some backstory, little little flashbacks or whatever, little bits of uh, stuff. Make sure it's important. You know, I mean, a lot of times people do a flashback or a whole scene like showing how the girl met the guy and how they it was so cute that they yeah. met in classroom and he got her a cup of coffee and they sat and talked for half an hour. It's like, really, I really don't need to know this. This is so... (laughs) The idea is you want to avoid on the nose. It's called on the nose writing. Um, Jerry Jenkins talks a lot about this. You really want to avoid on the nose writing, which means that um, any... It might be well-written. You might have, like, a passage that's very realistic. On-the-nose mm-hmm. writing is very realistic, very, you know, accurate. It could be very well-written, um, showing ordinary life. Like, people out to dinner at the restaurant, and they're like, oh, could you please pass the butter? Oh, yes, here you, here you are. Uh, waiter, could you get me a glass of wine? Which do you suggest? Oh, I like this, print. Okay, this is hmm. nice. Can I blah, blah, blah. Okay, now you might be capturing it very accurately, but it's super boring because it's yeah. just – you know, what's the point? It's on the nose. It's not accomplishing anything. So um, people, writers will say, oh, well, it's showing my character doing her ordinary things in an ordinary life. Okay. Boring. <laughs> but we, we don't want to yeah. see ordinary life. We're trying to escape ordinary life. <laughs> So those exactly. are that you can summarize really quickly and if you are gonna put in a bit of backstory, it should be triggered by what happens in the present action. Yeah. Like if you instead of have opening a scene with they talking for three pages about how this guy used to be in the military and hmm. you don't show anything like happening, maybe he's traumatized, he's got PTSD and all this like stuff going on, but instead of writing three pages about it, why not just start the story, the scene with him in action and he's he's in the garage and he's like reaching up to get something out of out of this top shelf of the cabinet and his shoulder hurts and it is like pain triggers the memory of when he got shot and he's got shrapnel in his shoulder and all you need is like one sentence and all of a sudden you know oh this guy used to be in the military and he's got and he's and then by his emotional reaction to it you can you can almost tell like he is proud of his past in the military or he resents it or he's you know, whatever. I mean, so you don't need that much. So the rule of three is a good rule to follow, which is generally, you have three lines, you might have like three lines of dialogue. And then you might want to switch to like three lines of narrative and a little bit of backstory or explaining. And then maybe you move into three lines of action, you can alternate. So <clears> you <throat> don't want to just stick with one thing for too long. You don't want to have yeah. too many paragraphs of a character processing too many character too many paragraphs of just action with no reaction i mean yeah. you can show a lot of high action like you know the guys they're beating up a whole bunch of gang members or something on a street corner but at some point you need to get into that character's head to show what they're thinking um you know take that you stupid guy you know or yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah yeah but you just want to you want to break it up so okay. try to to keep that in mind to just break it up by rotating around like if you've written <clears> a bunch <throat> of actions stop for a second get into your character's head or have them say a word line of dialogue He could say that out loud take that you idiot back him over the head with a two by four or whatever you know yeah. um, that's a breaking up the action the dialogue
1: so yeah. Um,
2: yeah. and there's something yeah. wrong with having, like long passages of rapid fire dialogue if it suits the purpose of the scene you know right you- Right. funny comedy where there's just this you know, back and forth banter going on and mm-hmm. you can have a lot of conversations. So again, you, you look at your genre and see what you're doing um, and see if it's appropriate.
0: Yeah. Um, kind of reminded me, um, uh, On the Nose, uh, I, I kind of heard it more as like show, don't tell. Is that the same thing?
2: No, not really because On the oh. Nose is writing realistic Material, realistic scenes or realistic Mm -hmm. action, but it's boring.
1: It's accurate,
2: but it's not interesting. So we don't want accurate and interesting. We, you know, we... We want subtext and misdirection and, you know, um, all that kind of stuff. People don't usually say what they mean. They almost never say what they mean. So when mm-hmm. you read really bad dialogue, you know, where there's like two people talking and they're telling each other exactly how they feel, it doesn't ever sound believable. Because especially when, like, when you're in an argument or something, you say stupid things and it's like, it has nothing to do with how you're really feeling um, or what yep. really is the problem. So um, dialogue is tricky, but studying you know, great writers that write great dialogue, it's it's wonderful to study that. Uh, I read a lot of James Lee Burke. He writes all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff that he's considered one of the greatest American novelists, and mm-hmm. he writes a lot of uh, Western, and he has a whole series set in New Orleans, but um, his dialogue is just amazing. I mean, everything about yeah. it. his writing is yeah. amazing. His setting, his characters his narrative, his, his, his writing style. But when you look at the dialogue between the characters, you're just like, Oh, there's so much that is not being said that you can hear. And that's, that's great dialogue. So again, study, study stuff and see how it's done and see if you can try to emulate it. It's not plagiarism. If you practice trying to write like other writers, it's good
1: Mm -hmm. exercise.
0: Yeah, well, uh, it's the fine art of writing. It takes a lifetime, right? It's uh, you like yeah. I always say. You can learn to make a book you know, in like <laughs> a couple of weeks. You know, I, I that's my course. I teach you how to publish oh, okay. and, and optimize for okay. Amazon. But you know, and that doesn't take very long. But uh, becoming a good writer and, and telling a fascinating story or a great story—that's a lifelong journey. You know. <laughs>
2: It's really hard and, you know, every time I start a new novel, it's just as hard. I mean, I have yeah. a lot of knowledge under my belt, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's such a challenge and it kicks your butt every time. It should. Yeah. If it's not, then you're not working hard enough. I mean, I've talked to yeah. lots of very successful, famous writers and they'll say the same thing. It's never mm-hmm. easy and it shouldn't yep. be. You should have to work very hard at making it look really easy. I think, I forget uh-huh. who said it, "An easy reading is hard writing. Is it? Uh-huh.
0: That's a good one, um, yeah.
2: We can't remember, so, but yeah. So that's the key. Easy reading is hard writing, because it's easy to write bad um, and clunky with too much stuff in it, and it's hard to read. But to make something read smoothly and beautifully without a hitch, that's a great art, and it is an yeah. um, uh, aspiration I think of every writer it should be.
0: Yeah. So it doesn't sound like it, but do you get writer's block?
2: Um, No, I don't think so. I mean, I think writer's block, and I I agree with Jerry Jenkins on this, that writer's block really doesn't exist. Hmm. Uh, I think it's a misnomer
1: uh,
2: because really a lot of times when people sit down to write and they can't write, it's a lot of other things it's procrastination it's insecurity Mm -hmm. it's not like they can't think of an idea a lot of times it's laziness. for me uh i'll procrastinate because i know how hard it's going to be to write a scene i'll put it off and put it off and i'll just stare at the screen you know if i (laughs) if i'm in that place it's like okay it's obviously not the right time to write i'm not going to push myself you know i I think it helps um i wrote a blog post a couple weeks ago if people want to look at Live, Right Thrive. And I don't know when you're broadcasting this podcast, but so I think I put it out in December. Yeah, in the December. Uh, it's a blog post called A Time to Write and A Time to Not Write.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, I, and I explore that a bit. The, and a lot of people wrote back saying, wow, I really, really needed that post. Because I talk okay. about there's seasons, right? For everything, there is a season and there is a time to write and there's a time to not write. And sometimes, and I give a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. for not writing, sometimes we just aren't motivated or creative, but other times other things are on our minds and upsetting us or distracting us Mm -hmm. and we can't concentrate. It doesn't make sense to force yourself to write during those seasons when it's not a good time to write. So writer's block sometimes can be that can be it's just not the right time to write I have put projects aside for years because every time I've tried to approach them I just feel in my gut like okay this is not the right time for me to be writing the story I did yeah. that with the menopause murders for years I kept telling people oh, I'm gonna write this book and I kept thinking I'm gonna sit down and write it and I never could get to it and then <laughs> as soon as Donald Trump got elected president and my book yeah. was all about sexism and ageism and meism and all this stuff um and mm. I thought oh my gosh this is a, this is the absolute perfect time to write this story and yeah. to set it right in this situation and
0: and then it uh, just flowed.
2: And it, yeah, we, we wrote 150,000 words in two months. Me and my, Wow, that's party. good. Yeah, we chopped a lot of it out. But yeah, but we had yeah. so much fun and we laughed all the way because it's yeah. a dark comedy about a woman who goes around murdering got people you know right uh, <laughs> through menopause and it's the only way she spells relief but yeah it's really <laughs> um, yeah. anybody listening that's a book publisher wants this book come contact me um so, yeah. <laughs> yeah we even put a website up so it's pretty fun so if you go to the menopause com, you can read some of the funny stuff about it but it is really dropped dead yeah. hilarious i mean it's the kind of book yeah. stuff cool. when you when you read it, you're just like rolling on the floor. I can't catch your breath because it's just so funny. And I, yeah, again, I had never written humor before. So I had to read mm-hmm. a bunch of dark comedy humor to kind of mm-hmm. get how it, how it was done. And we had fun.
0: You'll have to give me that um, the links. At the end, I'll put them on, on the post for this because I'm looking at, at um, your stuff and looking at all the things that I could put. Uh, so for one, the com slash resources is really good. You have all of these free templates and it's just really valuable stuff. And I, I'm, I'm downloading this stuff right now, you know. Oh and then you just talked about that one post, uh, the when to write or not to write. Uh, a and time
2: to write and a time to not write. But yeah. they, can, yeah, they can find that on the blog, yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. And you'll have to give me those links at the end and I'm going to put them in the show notes. And uh, because your blog and website are very valuable. I mean, I'm looking, you've got so many templates and what we talked about. It's all there for free. Yep. and not even behind an email sign up, You know, I put even yep. my free stuff behind the email sign up, you know. I but, just have uh, too yeah. much stuff.
2: You know, I I, yeah. I I want people to sign up for my emails and they'll get free books. I, I give away yeah. free books but only yeah. through my email sign up. But I just yeah. feel like I want to help writers. I want to make it as easy as possible to write novels and I think charts are the way to go. Yeah, <laughs> no, I love them. You know? I love them. Like they I said, they're they, yeah. they sort of like little stepping stones. They help you along the way. They're not going to write your novel for you oh. uh, but they will certainly give you a lot of directions. So, yeah.
0: Like you know, the checklist manifesto, that was another big bestseller, you know, and it's mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, okay then
2: Checklist, yeah, scene checklists and um, yeah, all kinds of
0: stuff. Right, okay. Yeah, really, really. I, I believe in them too. So uh that's why I would say live slash resources first, and then we'll we'll get the rest in the blog post. So um so okay, let's um what is your number one tip for beginning authors?
2: Uh, number one tip. Um, I would say don't be in a super duper rush to write a novel. I mean, like I see a lot of the critiques that I do. I have these new writers that write an entire novel and they haven't spent any time really studying novel mm-hmm. structure. Yeah. So I would say don't be in a real big hurry to write an entire novel. Sometimes they do the NaNoWriMo and then they, they think, Oh, that that's novel's great. I'm going to just try to publish it. Um, you'll regret it later.
1: So take the time, you know,
2: just like anything, if you want to be a doctor or a school teacher or a bus driver or whatever you want to be, you have to take the time to learn what you need to learn first before you yeah. jump dive in and, you know, yeah. do, do that. So yeah. novel writing isn't any different at all. You have to really take the time and learn the craft and then practice. And I think it's helpful if you can, uh, you know, once you've written a little bit, get some feedback. Hire somebody, a writing coach, an editor, uh, somebody professional, not just a critique yeah. group that will say, oh, gee, that sounds so good. You know, yeah. uh, and then you send it to a professional person and go, okay, this is a train wreck, and I'll tell you why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> get started yeah. on,
2: like, how you can improve this, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, because writing is tricky.
0: That's like one of my um, uh, other questions. What's the one question they should be asking you, but they're not.
2: Wait, me as a editor.
0: Yeah. What's the one question you wish people would ask you You
2: know, when they send me their project or just mean.
1: Yeah. When? Yeah. Okay,
2: so, yeah. Um, what do I wish they would ask me? Um, um, I don't know. I just tell them what I think without them asking me anything.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's okay.
2: And usually They ask me like, you know, is my writing any good or is my story yeah. any good? You know, and that's what we're dealing with. Yeah. Okay.
0: okay. Here's a hard one. What's your number one tip for advanced authors, authors?
2: Um, that's a good one. Uh, it depends. <laughs> I mean, if they if they really know their craft really well and they know how to write really well, but they're having trouble um, selling and you know, marketing their book, you know, that goes into a whole other category. But as far as the craft of writing, um, I would just encourage, um, you know, experienced writers to um, not focus on the success and the money and the sales, but stay in the joy of the writing. Because I think over the years, a lot of times writers um, just forget why they even started writing in the first place and there's yeah. so many stresses like i've got to write this book and i got to finish this book and i got to try to get it published i got to make a lot of money no, no, no. you know and <laughs> so when they're writing they're not like letting themselves just enjoy being in the zone and I, you know yeah. I, I i you know we can always put these deadlines i've got to finish the scene today i need to write you know five thousand 000- words Blah. Even if they're not under contract, but they just do this to themselves but I, I think sometimes you know we forget how to just write because we enjoy writing. What about writing a poem? What about just stopping the project you're doing and writing uh, just free write like or write a short story yeah. or Something different, just for fun. Because when we were little kids, we used to do that. I used to write little books of poems. My kid, my kids would do that too. They would take a little blank book and they would write a, po- a whole bunch of poems, like two lines: "I love goats. Goats are cute." And they <laughs>
1: cool. And yeah.
2: it was, you know, it's super fun, right? That's what your kids do, and, and you love it. Um, but we used to do that when we were young. We would just like I used to keep. I used to write a journal and I would draw pictures and I would just write poetry and I would just, I would just be in the moment and look at nature and just be inspired. And I think we just close ourselves off we're in a cage in our house and we, we we shut everything else out and we're on our computers and um and we're not really living life I mean you can't really write about life unless you live it so I think um, we yeah. need to spend more time living life and experiencing life and playing with the words and being wordsmiths As yeah
0: wordsmith that's you know. a good word <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love words. And that's why I wrote a seven book fantasy series because I love writing fantasy because you can play with the words and I get so into the... Cool. Twisting words and using them in weird ways and just you know it's just so much fun and um it's hard to bring that into like a thriller but there's ways of writing beautifully and i, I think we we miss that we, we're trying to be mm-hmm. so commercial and write yep. so commercial, like you know dean koontz or something where you know yep. you're, just, you're just writing real spare uh, yeah. but you're not, but there's no beauty to it and i he's I from know.
0: orange county too
2: Oh, okay. I just, I, I'm kind of more like I, I like the beautiful twist of phrase. I like a, mm-hmm. I like to have like one word in a sentence that I just go, ooh, that word is really neat in there. I want to, Christ, I want to taste, yeah. you know, taste new words and, yeah. and just, you know, that's what I love about James Lee Burke because he can just okay.
1: write two
2: lines of a of a setting and the words mm-hmm. that he chooses are packed mm-hmm. with emotion, and you're just going, wow, this word, that was amazing, you know. That's a
0: good tip. So if, if I was going to go get one of his books, which one should I get?
2: Oh, James Lee Burke? Oh, yeah. man. Well, there's so many. I just really like the Billy Bob uh, Holland series. I forget which the first one is, but there's like five okay. or six. Make sure you get the first one because they have to be in order. But it's like Cimar- Cimarron Rose or Bitterroot. I don't remember, but just look look at his Billy Bob Holland series and figure okay. out which one and start with those they're set oh. in montana uh they're beautiful the setting he's just as i love setting beautiful <laughs> setting uh cool evocative you really feel like you're there so yeah really really super neat
0: that's a good one yeah okay i'm gonna check that out so okay what's the one thing you wish you would have done sooner
2: uh all of the above <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah okay <Yeah. laughs>
2: No, I really wish that when I first started writing, I got an agent right away. Elmo Leonard's Elmo Leonard's uh, agent picked me up right away. Said, "Oh, nice. I'll be on your book in a minute." It's so yeah. the first agent I queried. Uh, my book sucked; it needed a lot of work, and it never <laughs> sold. And I, I f- it feel like it was a disservice in a lot of ways because I didn't—I I was under the illusion that I was this fantastic writer, and I wasn't. So I really wish I had—again, I had not hurried to try to write a whole novel without first learning. About novel structure and studying that. I mean, nowadays it's so easy. You have podcasts, you've got online courses, you've got um, yep. online writing groups, you've got uh, webinars, uh, all this yep. stuff. So back in the day when the dinosaurs roamed the earth, when I was young and I started writing novels, <laughs> the dinosaurs all we had were library books. And my yeah. library didn't really have very many books on writing craft. And they were usually like textbooks for yeah. English comp classes. Yep. Um, and there were writers conferences that, that I couldn't afford to really go to any. So I didn't have any resources. I mean, really, I- have any resource? i could buy a book or two on like Strunk and white or something i could buy a book or two on writing but that wasn't going to help me at all so i i just think today we have so much and also yeah. the help of other people like you and and yeah. other writers that are willing to just share there's so many blogs yeah, all yeah. These blogs. i have like almost two million words in print on my blog that's just wow for novel yeah. writing and I'm thinking, if I have that much, look how much is out there. So yep. anytime you just want to, like, like if a writer just doesn't know how to write good dialogue, there's, just Google it, and there's probably 500 art, posts and articles out there on how to write good dialogue. Yeah. I mean, you, don't, you have resources at your yep. disposal. Sure. So
0: you, you got, that's what I was um, kind of talking about earlier. You know, you have to prioritize which, which author to read, which blog to read because it's so valuable uh, so much, but I know I, yours is very valuable. I'm, I'm getting all of your free resources here and live, right thrive.com slash resources. And I'm really enjoying those and uh, I'm going to use them. And um, so one quick technical question you're on, you're, you have a, a couple of courses on Teachable, and um, I was thinking about using them, too. Do they have a comment system in the course?
2: Yep. yep. You oh, can okay. read comments on the different modules, and I reply mm-hmm. to them. And those comments stay there for everybody to see. So if there's mm-hmm. like a really cool comment that somebody has, that's helpful mm-hmm. you know, to other people out there. And I'm also so Tell us about your courses. Um, I don't have a whole lot of courses on my school so far. This year, I'm thinking of putting one together on characters, on how to okay. develop cast of characters, because while it's a huge undertaking, and it would be a gigantic course, I think, but I really feel like it's really important, because there's so little really covering the full cast of characters, and how you determine which kinds of characters you need in your story. Um, So that's kind of fun. It's sort of like, you you know, you want to do the taco enchilada combination platter, you know, you don't really know what uh, (laughs) you need to order, right? Um, Yeah. So the courses that I have, um, I do have a course for editors, uh,
1: mm-hmm. on,
2: um, and that's specific for editors. And I also have a course on targeting genre for big sales, which is kind of probably what you talk about a lot of this optimizing and how yep. to make the most out of Amazon.
1: Yeah. So yes. I,
2: I have that, but it also goes into like how to deconstruct other novels and how to, um, uh, you know, search, you know, drill down into Amazon to see where there, there are niche genres that would be. Appropriate for you that may might potentially have good sales possibilities. Yeah, um, yeah. so that's awesome. one thing. But my other courses are all about um, novel writing, writing craft. So the mm-hmm. main the main two that I recommend and that most people take, I have thousands and thousands of people signed up for these courses. Um, oh. Is the ten key scenes which i talked about and then also i have a little mini course which i think is like three hours long i don't even know if it's that long um Mm -hmm. and that's the um the four essential pillars of novel structure um those are just the first four pillars from my 12 Mm -hmm. key pillar book but those are the foundational corner pillars i call them the you know four corner supports of your story which i mentioned Mm -hmm. earlier which is the protagonist with the goal conflict Mm -hmm. and high stakes concept with the kicker and theme with the heart so it's all about how to construct and develop those four corner supports. And it's cool. really super important. And it ties in with the 10 key scenes because yeah. you need to know all that before you can mm-hmm. even start putting your scenes together. So and that are, one's free? That one's, I think, like $49 or something. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and then all the courses are lifetime access. They're go at your own speed, do it yourself. These aren't like group... Uh, Courses where they have a start date and an end date, and I'm right. just
1: saying, um, I may
2: do some of those later, but not
1: yeah. too teachable.
2: But yeah, so you can go in over and over again. I, I like in the ten key scenes. There's a number of exercises that you stop along the way, and you you know stop the video and you work on an exercise um, from what you've been learning, and you you know you keep developing your scenes as you go along. So. Um, I think it helps to go back in over and over again and watch sections that you're not too sure about. So I take other teachable courses from other people and I really enjoy uh, being able to do that, to go back in and like watch something again and see, you know, if I pick something else the next time.
0: I've been looking at, looking at teachable a lot and liking it. And I took a couple courses there already. Might move some of mine there, but we're not talking about the big deal. The big deal was, you have a deal on your course for Z Books readers right
2: yeah i mean i offer this deal to you know different groups but yeah i'm happy to extend it to anybody that's listening to your podcast um is to get half off my 10 key scene course and that's good through all the way through this year so um you can just use that coupon code i can't remember what it is isn't it like half 10 keys with the numeral 10
1: yes all
2: caps yeah
0: yeah, but first they have to know where to go. So your course is on Teachable.
2: Right, cslaken.teachable.com.
0: Okay, and then look up the 10 key scenes that frame up your novel.
1: Right, and you just then, that course.
0: Yeah, and then use half 10 keys at the checkout, right?
2: Right, it's a coupon code, so it's not nice. going to show a discount until you put that in there. Um, okay. You do have to enroll in the school. I think it, you know you just sign up with a username and ID and it enrolls you in my school. You're not obligated to do anything or buy anything at that point. Right. Um, I'm not going to send you a bazillion emails, but uh, you know, <laughs> not even but, a gazillion. <laughs> no, not even a gazillion. So, yeah, and so, but from there, you can pick which courses you want to take and sign up and whatever, and you can put the coupon code in for sure.
0: Okay, I'm going to spell it one more time because I think we're just offering this on the podcast. So half F one zero keys Yeah. So that, Is that that's what
1: I sent you?
2: Because I can't remember what I had said. I got you- it
0: right in front of me. Yeah. So laken at teachable.com and look up her 10 Key Scenes and then half 10 keys. Thank you very much. That's yeah. very generous. because Yeah,
2: and let me just also mention that Teachable has a 30-day money-back guarantee, and ah. you are perfectly welcome to yeah. uh, sign up for the course, take it, go through it, and if you're partway through or even all the way through, as long mm-hmm. as it's within 30 days, if you didn't like it and you want your money back, fine. Then just, yeah. just nice. send me an email and say, I want a refund. So yeah. yeah, I just want people to be happy. If it's the stuff you already know and you're not getting anything out of it, you know, don't pay for it. Yeah, it exactly it. It's a ninety-nine dollar course, and I think you know, so half off is like forty-nine fifty. Perfect. For I don't know, I can't do the math, right? How do I divide ninety-nine? Oh, uh, yeah, don't so ask me. Know. I
0: was that was my that was my excuse. You know, you <laughs> well, beat me I to not it.
2: Not a magician, <laughs> you know. That's why I write novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: exactly, exactly. Cool. <laughs> okay, where else can we reach you?
2: Uh, you can just reach me through Live right, Thrive. I mean, I have a contact form. I'm happy to have people contact me. I mean, if you want some editing done, you want a critique. Oh, I also have my other website, um, CritiqueMyManuscript.com. I have a lot of wow. websites.
1: That's so good. that's
2: my critique site. I would highly recommend if you're even considering having a critique done, go to CritiqueMyManuscript.com, and read all about it and you'll see my pricing. You can even upload and pay and do everything right there. But the whole idea is to understand what really is involved in a critique and why you need one. Mm -hmm. Uh, I really would recommend it before you take any steps to have your book edited, line edited, you know, don't fix the spelling before you fix the structure. You know, I always describe it as like you bake, uh, it's like putting beautiful delicious icing on a really yucky tasting cake
0: (laughs) that's a good one
2: yeah it's disgusting right so we (laughs) don't want our novels to be like that we don't want them to all look beautiful with the icing like the sentences are perfect the spelling's perfect the formatting is perfect right and then when you get into the meat or the i shouldn't have what's the metaphor you get into the the cake part of the of this of the story you dig into your cake it tastes really awful because it's terrible you know the writing's yeah. bad or the, or the um, structure's bad or both so yeah so work on your structure first and then mm-hmm. uh, and put the icing on it so uh what was the website again okay that one's critique my com. perfect anything else you want to say um come if you're in if you want to travel around to california I'm holding seven boot camps this year. I I just had somebody book from Australia. So people are coming. Maybe they'll come from Germany. I don't know. But uh, uh, all the boot camps that I teach are in California in beautiful locations. We've been doing it in Tahoe, Lake Tahoe for the last five years. And guess what? There's another website, writingforlifeworkshops.com. That's my event booking site. So if you're interested. Okay, cool. If you're interested yeah. in booking, of course, um, you can go to Liver Right Thrive and you'll read all about it there too. So it'll direct you to the site where you can actually book. But okay. um, we're doing some great, um, great uh, boot camps in Tahoe and in Wine Country and Mendocino nice. Coast, Monterey, Carmel, you know, that area. So uh, yes. I like to put the boot camps in really beautiful locations so people yeah. can turn it into a vacation also, spend some time enjoying yeah. the area and also kick their butt with you know learning how to write scenes and
1: plot and stuff like that
0: awesome you know that sounds like a topic for another podcast because we're already over an hour and something now <laughs> sure, <laughs> but I, I really want to know about these boot camps now okay you know sure. oh okay but um well uh maybe next time or, or just tell us quick like how much are they and uh, i mean california is a great state to have them. Well in. the
2: boot camps, the plotting boot camp, there's a plotting madness boot camp and you plot out your novel in three days. Honestly, come with an idea, leave with a full outline. Nice. Uh, and, and with the scene structure boot camp, we talk about scenes and we examine scenes and we tear them apart. We learn about how everything there is to know about scene structure in three days. So they're both three days long, they're three hundred dollars. So um, cool. Some of them, you know, you can stay find your own lodging and just come there it's just full days, three full days, Monday that's Sunday. competitive pricing. That's good. Yeah. yeah. And Things like, where, well, like at Tahoe and Monterey and in, uh, yeah. in other places, we actually rent a house. And mm-hmm. so, people would also pay for a room in addition. Nice, to- yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, Susan, it's been really, really rich. And uh, I mean, we could go on another deep dive into that. But I think I have to respect your time finally. And uh, <laughs> so... Exactly. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, I've yeah. enjoyed talking to you a lot, and I really enjoy sharing yeah. this with everybody. And I don't mean to be, like, pumping, uh, like, like promoting all my websites and stuff, yeah. but we just kind of went from one to another. But No, but uh, I want you to. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, the idea is that, you know, I just want people to love writing and to feel confident in writing novels so that they, you know, they can sit down and not have writer's block. They sit down and really enjoy the process. Mm-hmm and um, feel really fulfilled in the creative process it's it's you know creativity yeah. is a wonderful gift that we've been given and we shouldn't really value it and yep. enjoy it
0: thank you so much for your time i really enjoyed it too and yeah. uh, i look forward to talking to you again and maybe hitting one of your boot camps because i'm from california so well
2: come on down
1: yeah yeah it come on I'm, out
0: it'll be so fun i'm trying to i'm thinking of june do you have anything going on in june
2: Yep, June we're doing the Geyserville boot camp, uh, June 10th through 12th, uh, which is in wine wine country, and we're going to do a lot of wine tasting. I don't know how much scene structure we're going to get done because we're going to be drinking. <laughs> <a lot>.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm putting it on my calendar. So, thanks again, and I really, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, I'm going to try that. So, I'm, okay. I'm okay. I'll talk to you soon then.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Erica. Thanks for having okay. me. On, so I Really appreciate it.
0: Okay. Okay, my friends, if you like that podcast, then remember to go to zbooks.co and go get all the materials to start your authoring career. We have a seven-day challenge every week, so there's no excuse to not finish your book. And remember, please go to iTunes and upvote this podcast and Google Play. Okay, I look forward to seeing you at the top.